he came up behind me and he could just feel me freezing up. Mm. And he took it. It's like, oh, there's something I'm doing that she doesn't like or she's rejecting me. So that creates his wound, obviously. And for me, it was like I was remembering my uncle who always stood really close to me as a child. Welcome to the Empath and the Narcissist podcast, where you regain your sparkle back after narcissistic abuse. I am your host, Raven Scott, your go-to narcissist abuse recovery coach. This is episode 94, How to Heal from Sexual Trauma with Juliet Caraman. As a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional therapy. If you are enjoying this podcast, subscribe and leave a rate and review. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. I numbed myself to stop the pain and I reached out to friends for help, but it wasn't until I gained courage to leave and seek therapy that my dark abyss of hopelessness finally started to let in the light I was so longing for. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. It allows you to talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. With a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network, it will give you access to help that you need that may not be available in your area. Finding a therapist is easy. You just fill out the questionnaire to help assess your specific needs and then you get matched with the therapist in under 48 hours. Everything you share is completely confidential In therapy, I learned that I wasn't the selfish, lesser person my ex convinced me I was. In my therapy, I was able to get affirmation that I was truly being emotionally and sexually abused. That alone allowed me to release my trauma and grow into the strong coach and mentor that I am today. But I didn't just gain that alone in therapy. I gained my sense of self-autonomy back, my power back, and my confidence back. Join the 3 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash empath. That's betterhelp.com forward slash E-M-P-A-T-H in the link in the show notes. Hello again, empaths. Today is an episode that may be taboo. It may be something that's uncomfortable, but it is so important to talk about and to bring to light and to heal. Healing from sexual abuse and assault by anybody, let alone a narcissist, is really trying and really difficult. And most people want to just shove it under the rug. It's really hard to talk about. And this toxic masculinity of patriarchy has pillaged and raped for centuries. Narcissists are just a small few who participate. And some would argue that the leaders of this patriarchy, this world domination, all of these kings and empires and dictators, and those who have raided and pillaged the lands for their own greed, were narcissists. So sexual abuse and sexual assaults and violence can happen to anyone. But healing from sexual trauma is possible. So how do we regain our confidence with ourselves 
How are you able to seek pleasure in the bedroom after you have been sexually abused or raped? And pleasure in and of itself, you think only the bedroom, but there's more to it, right? There's foods that we eat. Just look at us moms, you know, you toil away over feeding your family and then you eat the remnants of leftovers because it's like you've just lost all motivation to cook a whole separate meal for yourself, which you really were truly desiring because you have to clean up the mess <laughs> or it's just like too much. So, but food is the very basic form of pleasure. And if you cannot even fulfill that for yourself with delicious meals and food and delight your taste buds, then how can you truly fulfill that in the bedroom? And this goes back to communication and evaluation of what your needs and desires are. Have you even thought about that? Maybe you haven't because you've blocked it all out because you've been taught that it's selfish and sinful to even think about it. So, you know, back to this topic of sex, then people don't want to talk about how they've been abused, let alone how they want to be pleasured, right? It's so taboo and it should not be. It's like, hide it, stick it under the rug, don't talk about it. And then there's no time to process it. There's no ability to process it. So I'm really, truly excited to share Juliet Caraman and I's conversation today. Juliet is a coach, a teacher, a mentor, and writer on healing, trauma, relationships, sex, and intimacy. She specializes in the reinvention of the most intimate relationship in life, the one we have with ourselves. Decades of her experience with conscious sexuality and her ability to hold deep space for her clients to regain their confidence in their bodies, psyche, and relationship is her superpower. So you will truly enjoy her. I did in the conversation. She is just a breath of fresh air and has been through some really tough shit, you guys. So I know that you'll enjoy this. You'll gain wisdom and clarity from all of it. So without further ado, let's get into the conversation. We are back and I'm joined with a special guest, Juliet Caraman. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to dive into this taboo topic that no one seems to talk to us about in our teen years, in our young adults, and even as adults. And I think it's a big integral part of our life is how to regain confidence with ourselves to seek pleasure in the bedroom and even after, if possibly you are sexually abused or even emotionally abused. Yeah. And it's such a big topic, right? And there's still such taboo about pleasure. It doesn't even need to be sexual pleasure, but just what is it to have pleasure? And then people don't want to talk about how they've been abused. It's like, hide it, stick it under the carpet, don't talk about it, don't process it, because it might just come and bite you back in the butt. Yep. But actually what happens is if you don't process it, that's when it comes back. Or it doesn't come back, but, but you know, it manifests in other parts of your life, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I think yeah. the abuser puts so much fear into you that they're going to ruin your life, so then you don't talk about it, um, uh, like, you, like you said. And then it does bite you in the butt, and it, it creates so much mental and emotional anguish in your life when you hold it in. There's also, there's so much shame, because, you know, we're talking about massive abuse here, right? But there's also a way that maybe builders 
kept call you, you know, on, on the street. They're like, hey, look at those legs. And, you know, you tighten up in your body. So actually it's you have a trauma response because you don't know what to say. It's going to you know, either come up bad or they're going to go on. So it's like you know, at that moment, you're like, like a deer in headlights. It's like, oh, what do I do? And it's, it's even these things that you're like, oh, they're minor. All of us have them. It's like, yes, all of us do have them, but not all of us have the a capacity to deal with them or to just shrug them off. So it's even things like this. It's like, oh, okay, that's very nice. Yes, there have been many instances where people have come too close. People have touched me in places that I didn't want to be touched, where I've said yes, and I actually haven't meant it. All of these are instances where, yeah, it builds up trauma and it builds up not trusting your own self. Absolutely. You know, that's the crux of it. Yeah. And it always comes back to consent, but it's interesting you say that. You said yes, but your body, and you really didn't want to say no because you were afraid of whatever repercussions may come, right? right, If you said no. Yeah, but how often do we say yes to something? And like, even with my, I've got four kids, even with my kids, they're in their early 20s now. But one of them said, oh, mommy, can I come and, and bring four friends over for the weekend? And normally I'd be like, yeah, great. But I was like, oh my God, four bedrooms, sheets, this, that. What am I going to cook? And, and everything in my, in my body was just like, ah. So I was like, babes, I'd love to see you. And this was right before he left to Dubai to, to work. Um, and the four friends just kind of gives me a bit of anxiety. So what about you come for the whole weekend and then come and stay one night? He's like, yeah, that's cool. But that was my like tapping into because immediately being a, you know, former over over giver <laughs> like a lot of us are right um my instinct was like yes and especially if you have children it's like yes we have to do something I, I see this so much in clients it's like you know my children ask something of me or my partner asks something of me so I have to then say yes yeah it's hard so we've gotten into this topic a little bit and we're going to dive deeper. But before we go even deeper, I just want to hear about you, Juliet. How did you get into this work about healing trauma and helping people in relationships and sex and intimacy? Ooh, well, a lot of us are in this because we needed to heal ourselves, right? I'm a mother for, uh, was in a beautiful marriage and you know, often when we hit around 40, there's like, mm, yeah, things just didn't work so well anymore. He traveled a lot. We didn't communicate the way we could have. We had four kids in under three years time. So it was like busy. Wow. Um, and then, you know, just one thing after the other, we, we divorced and we're very good friends. We still speak pretty much every day. It's not twice, three times, four times a week. Um, and I went straight into another relationship over giving. Yeah, mm. four of my own kids, three of his kids, seven children's. Mm. You know, we created a home together, seven, yeah, eight bedrooms, seven different schools. It was crazy. And yeah. I didn't listen to my body where, you know, it was giving me signals saying, hey, this is not going so well. Because yeah, let's let's be honest, it was it was difficult, you know, and then there was a bit of toxicity in there. Which I can look back now and also say, hey, you know, what was my part in that? Because it always, you know, you always take 100% responsibility for, for your relationship. But at one point I started fainting 
So I spent nine months in and out of hospital and the doctors didn't know what it was. They implanted a heart monitor for two years. They did brain scans every month and they just couldn't find what it was. So it was only after we broke up that within two weeks or so, I was able to walk you know, at least you know, for, for 10, 15 minutes unaided. And just things kept going upwards, upwards. You, you don't realize that until you hit rock bottom, how mm-hmm. stressed you are and how much you're living in a fight or flight response. So that really took me on to my own personal journey, which then, you know, it came to light that I'd gotten raped by five guys when I was 18 and I'd mm. completely buried it because of all the shame and then thought that it was my own fault. And it was only until my psyche, until my body also felt better, that I could handle it. Hey, empaths, wanted to take a break and ask if these phrases sound familiar to you. I didn't say that. You're too sensitive. No one will ever believe you. If these phrases are familiar, then you may be dealing with a narcissist. Then my book, Empath and the Narcissist, is for you. How to Overcome Narcissistic Abuse and Recover from PTSD, Codependency, Gaslighting, and Manipulation. Receive another bonus in this book. The free Four Ways to Set Powerful Boundaries workshop is included in this book if you wish to feel alive again and take back the power in your life. And newsflash, you can listen to my book on Audible. Then go to www.ravenscott.show forward slash empath and the narcissist. Now, back to the show. So, did lots of work on that, and then through that, it's just, it just one thing after the other kind of just dropped it into place for my own healing journey. And the more I healed myself, the more people came on my path saying, hey, can I have some of what you're having? <laughs> I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Did you find you repressed it, which makes a lot of sense. We do tend to hide things to just carry on and move on. But did you find that it affected your self-esteem and or possibly how you related to everyone else moving forward in the bedroom? It's interesting, right? Because I mean, like, it goes back much earlier than then. I had an uncle who molested me at age five That's to probably sorry. 16. And yeah. I remember telling my mom, it's like, hey, you know, uncle, whatever his name was, always touches me right right around the movies and then you know he touches my my butt and it just doesn't feel good and she's like oh yeah that's what I had an uncle who did that too that's just normal so it got brushed away and I was like oh, yeah. and your intuition as as a youngster is like this is not right it feels wrong what you, you can feel the energetics of it yeah right even if you if you don't know the sexual predicate you can kind of feel the energetics um and then you know, you're told that you're wrong and this is what's normal so for a long time, it was just like, oh, okay, so that's kind of normal. So then when I got date raped, I think what happened is I was so ashamed because one of the men was under that I'd been dating. So I thought, is there somewhere that I brought this on? Yeah, he invited oh, all these, these friends into the room. Uh, another friend of mine was there as well. Same thing happened to her. So we climbed out, out of a window and walked back to, to the city that we were staying in in Spain. And the thing is, I think for a long time, I just hid it and thought, you know, it's, it must have been me. And then it was easier not to go there. So I think it definitely did 
hinder my self-confidence for a bit. I kind of like yo-yoed with my weight a lot. It's unsafe to to be thin and to be sexy. Didn't want to wear very mm. promiscuous clothes. But at the right. same time, I'm like, oh, but I also want to show something. So it was like that <laughs> internal battle. And, and I hadn't yeah. quite realized why. Mm. And then when I was in this workshop and I physically got re- released because I was getting flogged on my shoulders, and all of a sudden, my body remembered and all these memories started flooding in. I was like, Whoa! Wow. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's what I see with a lot of my clients who have massive trauma on board. When they start to remember, when the body starts to remember, you can have flashbacks, you can start shaking. I mean, it's really that moment where they need a lot of care and especially the aftercare yeah. as well. Yeah, that is that is a form of PTSD where it may not be recurring. It may just be that one instance, but then it's like, wow, I really have to deal. Like your body's remembering everything. Yeah, it's completing yeah. The, the trauma cycle, right? It's really interesting if you think about dogs and other animals, when they get frightened, they shake it off. Mm-hmm. We instead, you know, we have a car accident or when, when something like this happens to us, we just go like, oh, here are my papers. Here, can I have your number, please? Especially here in yeah. Britain, they are so polite. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, are you okay? <laughs> just here right. it is. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. And as humans, we do, we kind of freeze or we fight or we flight, but it still, it doesn't actually release all of the emotions out of your body as if I've actually heard about that where people have done certain modalities where they like move and shake and dance, which helps. Yeah. Yeah. Trauma release <laughs> exercises are amazing for that. Yeah. To hear either. Yeah. There are loads of other ones that are just really good. Like there's this really deep sound. What's it called? The um, didgeridoo. Australian Aboriginal. The didgeridoo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was going to say, how do you how do you pronounce it? That I mean, oh my god! And you lie on the floor and you hear that. It's just, it's, it's it's on one of my soundtracks, and I actually use that yeah. for people so that they can get so, get their bodies moving again. Oh wow! Yes, that makes sense. Do you use any singing bowls, or you prefer the didgeridoo? I I don't use either of them. I use a drum. I do sh- use a shamanic drum, but I will give uh-huh. homework, like listen to this and I'll, I'll give uh-huh. them some tracks. Yeah. Ooh, I mean, I yes. love singing balls and I love gong baths and stuff, but I'm not, I don't play them. <laughs> I, <leave laughs> I hear, the I professionals. don't <laughs> Yeah, as you say, I hear it takes quite a bit of practice to master, which will be one day something, but right now I'm too busy. Yeah. I know. It's just like I leave that to other people that do that really beautifully. Yeah. So Exactly. Yeah, but it goes back to the vibration because Completely. our bodies are vibrational beings. Energetic beings. Yeah. yeah. And those emotions are vibrations at the, you know, a dissonant frequency that needs to be released. And that's it. Most people are so afraid to feel their emotions because then they'll be stuck in a thought and then emotion. And then there might be body sensation and an image maybe with it. And then they're just like, no, but it just keeps spiraling. But because you're not actually feeling them, you're going into them for one second. Then it's like, oh, no, 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 it's too scary. And then you leave them. But if you actually feel an emotion for about 90 seconds, it moves and something else comes in. And if we keep experiencing those emotions, those thoughts, those body sensations, and perhaps the image, that is how we move through it. And then you get to a point where it's like, oh, 
there's not much content in my head anymore. The monkey mind has stopped. I'm like, oh, I realize we're all just energetic beings. We're all in the universe. It's like, oh, it's kind of cool here. And that's when you get to these really heightened states by not having to take any drugs, not having to do anything except for going through all these emotions. You're right. Yeah. It's scary to feel them and then you push them down. It's almost mm -hmm. like hitting a bell and then grabbing it real tight and not letting it continue to resonate and finish. It's the same, right? It's Beautiful same analogy. <laughs> Completely. I love that analogy. It's so good. I'm going to use that. Oh, yay. Okay, good. Yeah, it just came to me. I'm like, yep, okay. So this is all vibrational. This is exactly how happens. So you stop the bell, but if you don't let the bell ring all the way out, then that hit of the bell is not fully released. That emotion mm. that you just experienced is not fully released. Completely. And that's when we now out with shopping, slightly too much alcohol, being online, scrolling Instagram. I mean, we all do it. And in a way, it's for some people, it's also nervous system calibration, right? Because we actually just need to chill out. But when you realize it's four hours later, when you, when you put your phone down, it's like, oh, where did that go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And just like I was mentioning to someone else, that sometimes you go to your phone to chill out or to research something, and then all of a sudden you're down a rabbit hole and you're doom scrolling, and then your anxiety and your vibration is even lower and you feel more stressed out. <laughs> it's crazy, right? It's crazy, crazy, crazy. I was just writing a piece on, on self-love and we're mm -hmm. actually putting your phone away at night, even mm -hmm. if you can not have it in the bedroom and have a normal alarm clock, an old-fashioned alarm clock, or wake yeah. up on time. We're a bit older. You kind of like wake up at a certain time anyway. <laughs> but it's that's really a way of self-love where mm -hmm. yeah, you give yourself really firm boundaries. I only work between these and these hours. And even I've had to do it with my kids. I'm like, you know, don't call me past 10 o'clock or don't expect an answer from me past mm -hmm. 10 o'clock. That's a, that's a good boundary too, as your kids get older and they have the cell phones and the technology. Mine are yeah. still in elementary school. So oh, primary school, I think is what they call in UK. So Actually, they love music. And there's this one app called Mashi at night that I play. Mm -hmm. It's very similar to like meditation, but there's like yeah. stories and music. And it actually has forced me to do that exact same habit where I leave it playing the soothing music in off from my phone in their bedroom. And I don't have my phone because it's playing over there. So I just great. <laughs> and I just, you know, on the charger because I'm ready to go to sleep, but I'm put it away it's not even in my bedroom so it's hard though it's such a good thing it's it's hard yeah because we've just gotten used to it but then yeah how how much time do you just spend on it yeah <laughs> anyway on it all day <laughs> and your lunch break completely different tangent <laughs> i know we went on a tangent but it is actually related to this like numbing coping mechanism to yeah. numb out these difficult emotions of traumas that have happened to you and specifically that pent-up negative emotions. And people are so afraid of anger. And mm. yeah, and really emotional intelligence is, is so beautiful. If you can actually tell your partners like, hey, I'm getting triggered here. Like I had with my partner, he came up behind me and he could just feel me freezing up. 
And he took it's like, oh, there's something I'm doing that she doesn't like or she's rejecting me. So that creates his wound, obviously. And for me, it was like I was remembering my uncle who always stood really close to me as a child. So when one of you becomes aware of it, that's where you can communicate. So I remember I was in the middle of, of teaching someone a process and then they turned it around. One of the teachers there was like, okay, let's let's process you. And I was like, what do I do? It's like, oh, this one. And I went through exactly what it was, what my uncle did. And since then, now he can just come behind me. But I had to tell him, saying, hey, Alex, please, yeah, don't go away. I need you to stay. Don't fix me. But I'm just telling you I'm in a bit of a trigger. So I'm in a bit of a trigger response. And then afterwards, I was able to talk about it. But being able to be aware of what's happening and then communicate it in a way that you know what you need and what you need your partner to do. It takes a bit of practice and it can go really, in the, in the beginning, you get it wrong. And the willingness to, to be in it together, right? That's, that's the beauty of it. That is beautiful. I love that. And it, it, is it always about pulling out like something, just like organize your closet, pulling something out and going, oh, this is it, right? So just being able to recognize this is what needs to be cleansed out of my closet. And yeah, probably I can imagine it going horribly awry at the beginning where you, you get triggered and then you want to express. So you express almost in a very like angry or very short tone. And then they're like, oh, and so then they run away. You're like, wait, wait, don't leave. Oh, okay, let's and try that again next time. Beautiful <laughs> men, right? They really do try to please us and just be here and then... Yeah, they, they want nothing more but to actually help their woman and, and to pleasure her and to make sure that, you know, she's their queen. Well, you know, if you're in a good relationship. But <laughs> yes, that down, should be how it happens, you guys. <laughs> but deep down, that's what we all want. We all want to be loved. We all want to be seen and heard. So, mm-hmm. you know, once you can take the emotions away and then just, you know, like the negative, like wanting to like vent, it's just like, no, not going to do that. Or ask if your partner is available, saying, hey, I need to vent for 15 minutes. Are you available now? And yeah, he or she or your kids might just say, oh, mommy, not right now, but what about tomorrow at 8 o'clock? And it's like, great. <laughs> and oftentimes already just asking for that permission, like, hey, I need to load, I need to let off some steam, already moves things. And then when it comes to eight o'clock in the morning, it's like, you needed to let off steam. Like, oh, yeah, I think that's moved already. Thank you. But thank you for remembering. (laughs) Oh, that's sweet of them to remember. Yeah, it is important because sometimes you both energetically may not meet up together and your venting is coming into their overstressed, like they have a million things going on in their brain and they're stressed out about something. So when you're venting, and especially with men, they try and fix things. So it's like, please don't add to my plate. I have a hundred things right now in this very moment that I like emotionally am feeling anxiety over, right? And they have to move through those emotions too. Completely. But when it comes to the narcissist, you can try and do that, right? You try and have that conversation, but then it really goes awry and then you get verbal and emotional abuse because they cannot ever handle holding space for your emotions. No, holding space for their own emotions is already difficult enough that gets projected onto a lot of others. Yeah, I had quite a narcissistic mother, love her to death and and actually did 
love her as she was passing over. It's tough because you get gaslit and you get told like you're wrong the whole time. And you notice when people have narcissistic parents or partners that they're much less self-assured. They constantly doubt themselves. So asking for some space for themselves is almost impossible. Mm, So you turn inside and you you start looking at coaches and at therapists and at friends to actually hold that space because we all need that. We all need to be loved, nurtured, and seen. Absolutely. We all need to be seen, nurtured, and loved. And I think that's another key point to why the horrible question is like, why do you keep staying with them for so long? Well, it's because they do give you snippets of seeing you, hearing you, and loving you. Just so Mm -hmm. that you stay. And so you do, you stay because you're like, well, they did see and love me, but they just can't right now. And that's the tricky part about, about that. But completely right. And that's the bit that, and I'm not even sure if all of them do it so consciously, but there's just a little bit. It's like, oh, we give you a bit of love here. It's like, you know, they do some love bombing. They'll tell you that they can't live without you and you're the most incredible and this and that. And then the next moment, it's like, you're horrible, you've done everything wrong. And it's like, where, where did the change come? What happened? Was, yeah, did I miss the program? It always seems to be like, what did I do? Like, it always goes back to like something you did, but most of the time you didn't do anything. It's just their own internal bipolarism. (laughs) But that's just the whole thing about relationships. We often think, what did I do? Or I can make it better. And especially kids have a tendency to help mommy and daddy and try to make things better or even for for their brothers or sisters, right? It's like, I'll be the rescuer. It's actually always about the other person themselves. It's their story. It's their creation. And it's very difficult for a mother or for a child to see the others actually hurting. Mm -hmm. You want to want to try and help but sometimes it's like oh the only way I can really help is by helping myself and by having firm boundaries it's like hey when this happens I feel a certain way so I'm going to remove myself right now I'm going to take care of myself for a moment I love that yeah and I didn't really I tried to do exactly what we just said like fixing the bad emotion for everyone because it's uncomfortable I think we all do that we're trained not to cry. We're trying not to yell and be angry. Of course, yelling is not the best way to get your anger out, but it's okay to feel anger. Just let's do it in a healthy way. But usually it's kind of logged into our brain, like anger is bad. Don't have it. You know, sadness Mm. is bad. Don't have it, but have all the other happier emotions. But once I realized that emotions are like a circle, like a wave, like it's just kind of a perpetual, again, we talk about how it's again a vibration, like it's just constantly like a wavelength. And when I realized that I was able to remove myself from Mm -hmm. their discomfort and then be able to hold space for their discomfort, knowing that it was like a wave, it was going to go away and be fine. It's so beautiful. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, I remember when I first started coaching, I had this incredible teacher, Lynn Forrest, who talks about the victim triangle. So Mm. where it's you're the victim, you're the rescuer, and you're the perpetrator. And we Mm. play all roles at the same time. (laughs) We move through the, the, the three bits of the triangle most of the time until we start becoming aware of it. 
And then mm. you become the spectator, you become the observer and you see what's happening in your life, in their life, in everyone's life. And you're like, oh, I can actually hold that duality. I can be sad and be joyous at the same time. But then there's no charge like pushing sadness away or you know, pulling to, towards joy. But you can mm. actually feel both. And then you're in a place of choice and a place of neutrality where it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, there's joy, there's sadness. It's it's cool. And that really is a very comfortable place to be, especially as an empath and recovering mm. people pleaser, because then you don't feel like you have to fix everybody and everything and get yourself entangled in toxic situations. Or take any of their energy on, right? As empaths, mm. we also do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think just recently, back in August, Jennifer Moore's episode 79 talked about how having the emotional intelligence and awareness removes you from being an empath who is completely unaware of other people's emotions and feeling like it's your own, and then having empathy and letting that emotion ride. But this all still, I wanted to point it back to the bedroom, this all goes back to sex because when you're at your most vulnerable, that's where the emotions are most raw. But if you're, especially with the empath and narcissist toxicity, if you are unstable in your emotions, you're unstable in your identity and self-worth, that just breeds for a disaster. I think that's really what happened with mine. Every single argument and abuse that occurred always occurred in the bedroom, to be honest for me. I don't know if it's for everyone else, but for me, always stem back to I wasn't good enough. You know, I wasn't staying up long enough. I wasn't Gumby enough. I wasn't hot enough. It's like constant, just. And it's sad, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. because then you do start feeling insecure. You're like, and then also let's see, what are we bombarded with, right? These beautiful images of these incredible Instagram models and mm-hmm. other models and porn industry. And it's all like, we need to remember that they're actors in porn. Yeah, this is not what people, not what everyone does in the bedroom. It's not normal. So when mm-hmm. I, you know, my kids are in their early 20s, so I really had to teach them that. And I also had to teach boys. I'm like, hey, you're with these girls. And these girls also have parents and they have siblings. And just like you love your sisters and your brother, you wouldn't like anyone to speak bad about them. So really, it's like, you know, how can you be respectful? How can you be the most loving? How can you just really tap into what you want, but what also what they want and have a communication about it? It's like here in in England, sex is still so taboo. You know, people talk about their front bottom. I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) When I came and moved here, I'm like, talking about front bottom, what is that? (laughs) <laughs> so it's it, there's a lot of taboo still talking about what do you like and mm-hmm. there are a lot of people that don't even know what they like because they've been so shut down saying that they have been abused or they have had some trauma some sexual trauma in their childhood right. they just shut everything down and they're like okay quickly can we just get this over with and then you hear well you're frigid and you never do anything fun and you never initiate <laughs> And the best time to really talk about this with your partner is not in the bedroom. So perhaps go on a walk and then say, hey, you know, I've been trying some things by myself. I've been trying different kinds of touch. 
And I would love it if you and I could just explore, just touch on our arms and see what we like. If it's, you know, what I like, what you like, and maybe we'll become really nerdy about it and we can make it a lab and even wear white lab coats and write down, like stroke up the left finger, really soft, liked it. You know, hard down stroke, didn't like it. Nails, yes, nine out of 10, good. But really being curious about what you both like. And the best time is obviously when you're not in conflict to talk about this. And a lot of my couples that haven't had sex in like 23 years, I actually Mm -hmm. give them homework not to have sex, but to really start connecting a bit again. Like saying, like go on morning dates together, go somewhere completely different, start writing lists. What did you love to do as a child? And then exchanging them. And it's like, oh, we both love flying kites. Let's do that one morning. And you really start having fun again. And you start looking into like, oh, what do we love about each other? And you you interrupt your brain because our brain is always in the same pattern. But this pattern interrupt, you can't stay angry at someone for not touching you the way that you want. And actually have fun and joy, right? And it's just like, Mm. oh, I'm actually really loving them. So it's things like this. And it's like, what can I feed you? How would you like to be? Maybe you don't want to be blindfolded. And I can put a strawberry up to your nose and run it across your your chin and your cheek. And have you smell it and then slowly feed it to you. And all these things are a little bit taboo to talk about. But if you can talk about it outside the bedroom, then it starts, you know, then you can start taking it into the bedroom later. Mm. You know, I think, you know, as you're talking, I really see that there's so much pressure, like you had said, with all the images in front of us and the movies and not even porn, just actual movies nowadays. Like everything looks perfect and, you know, they roll off each other. It's like, that's really not very practical unless you want to wash your sheets right away. Like all these things, right, that are so unrealistic. It puts so much pressure for everything to be perfect. And so it makes sense that even with out conflict, it can be really intimidating. And then you involve conflict, low insecurity, emotional baggage, abuse, history, and all of these different triggers. And it's a beautiful way to practice just enjoying each other because that's really all it is, you know, giggling and laughing, enjoying. It's like that extra like flying the kite type of childish play date extended just into the bedroom. That's kind of a healthy way, a really cool way to look at it. Completely. And it can just be really fun, right? And we also forget that actually hugging and looking each other in, in the eyes, really, if, if you hug for over 10 seconds or seven seconds, I don't know, it, it creates all kinds of endorphins and feel good chemicals. And yeah. we forget. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's just these things, mm-hmm. connections, spending time together. And we're so busy, 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 busy. So yeah, this is one of my things. It's like date night, date morning, date afternoon, mix it up a little bit, leave the phones behind. Don't talk yeah. about the kids. Don't talk about work. And but- really start start noticing like perhaps you have a hobby or perhaps you have a vision for what you want to create together. It's like when we bought this house, we had a vision board and we wrote what our mission for this house is. And it's really Mm -hmm. like people come here to create and have a space where they feel safe. And honestly, safety is something which is really, really big, especially for abuse survivors. Although I don't like that word very much, but but people who've Mm -hmm. had abuse. Um, Mm -hmm. 
safety is just something that we all need. And what I teach my clients is is what's very known in the BDSM world is the stoplights. Red is stop, no more touching, completely. We need to stop all action. Orange is like, okay, hey, slow down a little bit. And green is like full, full force ahead. But you can even do this if you're just having communication problems. If you're having kind of like an argument and you can start feeling yourself, whoa, it's like, whoa, red's got to stop. Or like, hey, orange, I'm going to need a little bit. Can we just like, can I do some shaking, some breathing? I'm I'm at orange. And it really yeah. gets you to gauge the other person as well. I love that. Yeah. And that was what I was going to ask you about is safety is number one. So how as a, as a someone who has experienced abuse in the past, you've been able to communicate it now outside of the bedroom with your partner. Mm-hmm. How can you then heal to come to the bedroom like with such a light heart and like not bringing that emotional baggage into the bedroom? I think by actually healing yourself, by doing all the practices, like I've given you a whole bunch of examples already. Um, mm-hmm. And then really also setting an intention. Like, like usually we have, date morning is a Sunday morning. We just do spend two hours doing something completely wacko. And it could be in the bedroom, could be somewhere out. But also to kind of like put an intention. It's like, hey, I'm going to go into the bedroom. I'm not just going to wait until he initiates, but it's like, I feel sexy today. Like maybe I put on some music and put some makeup on, put you know the cream on, get my elbows that are horribly dry, a bit smoother. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but kind of like things to please yourself, right? It's not mm. for your partner, but it's really for yourself. What brings you pleasure? And mm. when you do more things that bring you pleasure, you start radiating and your light turns on and then everyone wants a bit of that. So then when you bring that to the bedroom and it's like, you know, maybe just put on some music and dance, slow dance together. Yeah, like it's, that. it's yeah. so, I mean, I, I get my clients to do a lot of dyad work. So they give each other the same prompt. So, and then both answer. So one of the ways I would say is, this is what I love about you. I like offering it. Very often it's tell me what you love about me, but then the mm. other person has to start. So I will say, this is what I love about you. And I'll give them five times. And, the, and then the other person just says, thank you. It's just about receiving what this person has to say. Then they go back and tell me again what they love about me. And then I'll say, this is what I desire either tonight or for our relationship, whatever. Right. And then we go back and then he, they, we go back and forth again. And then the third one is often, this is what I'm, I'm afraid for. These are my fears. And if you've done that and you've done five of these prompts each, mm-hmm. you're, not, you're not swimming anymore at the surface, but you've actually been really deep diving into what it is, what the emotions are, what that intimacy is. You want, you've brought out what was on the inside to uncover, like on a platter, like, hey, this is who I am and this is who we are together. And from there on, get all the people that I did give no sex as, as a homework, you know, they, they reported back saying, yeah, you know, the no sex thing, you know, after 23 years of marriage, not sex, we've actually had sex because of this homework. <laughs> <laughs> it's reverse psychology. It's kind of cute. Yeah, that's cute. There is something to abstaining, but not 
not connecting, right? Because it, it it's removing the home run and going, wait, but yeah. you missed base one, base two, base three. You missed looking each other in the eye. You missed all these different connections. So no wonder yeah. you're not really enjoying it together. And you just take the pressure off, the, the pressure yeah. of a goal off. Yeah, yeah. Very few people know that women really need 40 minutes of foreplay, whatever it may be, to really get into the mood, to also get juices flowing, etc. You know, of course, there's exceptions to it, but you know, there are times that we actually need a little bit more, more help just to get into the mood and to set up a beautiful room. This is why, really, when you set that up with intention, your date morning, say that you are going to spend two hours in the bedroom. Clear the bedroom a little bit. Don't have dirty socks lying around because, yeah, us energetic <laughs> beings are like, no, sensual and energetic beings are like, oh, my God, I can't get into my body because I see the dirty socks and maybe I smell down here and did I shave and all these thoughts, right? Yes. <laughs> so set some time up just to clean it, clean yourself, get, get into something nice that you feel comfortable in and... Perhaps then put on some music, maybe some candles, just anything that really has you feel like, wow, this is a different way. This is something new because anything that's new creates excitement in the brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Set up some velvet pillows on the floor instead of you know, going to the bed. Maybe like bed is a no-go area. Change location. Yeah, exactly. Completely. <laughs> Yes, I love all of those. This has really helped a lot. I think the audience will really feel understanding and also being seen and heard that their abuse is valid and mm. it is absolutely something that you experienced as well as that you can heal through it and you can come out the other side lighthearted and find ways to enjoy pleasure and sex you know, that brings you stress relief, that brings you enjoyment in life, that just is naturally Completely. supposed to be wonderful and not with yeah. all these huge expectations and burdens to it. Completely. And I would just add one thing. It's like trauma doesn't define you. And abuse doesn't define you. It's part of your story. Absolutely. But you've survived it. You've come through it. And that's oftentimes where I have to start with people when they're really <laughs> deep in their trauma and have just had a massive, massive thing. It's like, hey, it doesn't define who you are. Yes, it's part of you, but it's not all of you. It's not the totality. And that's slowly where you start peeling back the layers, mm -hmm. right? It's like, oh, this is fun. It's like, but, but can I have fun and have been, you know, have had such trauma? I'm like, yes, you can. And I can see that within you. I would have never guessed that you had those experiences because, like you said, working on yourself and clearing out that energy and having that intention that this isn't me. This is not my identity. You know, these are the intentions of who I am. Yeah. Shining your light bright. Beautiful. Yeah. And that's it, you know, because we clasp onto identities and to personalities so much. And then it's like when we can just let go of that, it's like, oh. I'm actually everything. I can be anything that I want to. Yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> where can our listeners connect with you? Maybe they need some coaching and where can they get more from you? I'm on Instagram, Juliet Caraman. So Juliet is French spelling and then Caraman, K-A-R-A-M-A-N. 
Fan. And my website is feelfullyyou.com. Um, I'm in the process of redoing some bits and I'm going to put some more free meditations on there. I do group coaching. There's a few VIPs that I take on for one-on-one, but most of the stuff that I do is group coaching at the moment. Beautiful. And yeah, it's just fun. And they're, sometimes they're just like little workshops of one hour. So yeah, you hit me up there and you can always find me on social media. Facebook, Juliet Caraman as well. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much for that. All of the links to all of those things you mentioned will be in the show notes as well. So if this really resonated with you and it made you feel seen and heard, do us a favor and take a screenshot of this episode and post it to your Instagram stories or feed and tag us at Raven Scott Show and at Juliet Caraman. We'd love to connect with you. Thank you for being here, Juliet. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. It's been a pleasure having you here as well. And remember, everyone, keep your unique light shining. This is the month of October, Domestic Violence Awareness Month. If you or anyone that you know is in danger in domestic violence, please call the 1-800-HOTLINE. National Domestic Violence Hotline is 800-799-7233. one 800 Thank you for tuning in today. You are a blessing. If this has impacted you, please share it with a friend, spread the word so we can impact and end domestic violence, narcissist abuse, and the suffering now. If you are enjoying this podcast, subscribe and leave a rate and review. Don't forget to DM me on Instagram at Raven Scott Show, free gift to get your free how to draw powerful boundaries workshop. I'm here to support you. And with over 10 years of experience, I empower you to rise up and stop the cycle of abuse. See you next episode. Madvi is helping people release emotional baggage, breaking negative patterns, and finding the root causes with the emotion and body code. Visit www.madvi.ca. I can personally attest that this is an amazing way to heal trauma out that you can't do with meditation and thought therapy and talk therapy and all the things. So reach out to her and get a free 30-minute consultation to see if this is something that can help you. Visit www.madvi.ca. That's M-A-D-H-V-I dot C-A.